Okay, so here we are. It is a new month. We are in July. You know, happy Independence Day weekend to all. And our new month's theme is Untethered Spirituality. I think that has a nice ring to it. Today's talk is Feeling Free. That's kind of how I feel, practicing an untethered spirituality, right? I do feel free. Um, and, I, you know, I think that the science of mind and spirit is an untethered spirituality. I mean, I, I know that for myself. It is absolutely freeing. I know that William James actually called new thought the religion of healthy-mindedness, which I love. And I, and I really do believe that. It's about growth. It's about expansion. It is about freedom. It is about being who we truly are. And Ernest Holmes said this when he defined religious science. He said, it is a correlation of the laws of science, the opinions of philosophy, and the revelation of religion applied to human needs and human aspirations. So it has taken the best of all the world's religions. It has taken those common threads that run through the world's great religions and philosophies, understanding that science and religion can walk hand in hand in principle and examining and embracing philosophy which, in which to live this fully self-actualized life. The science of mind offers humanity a belief system that is truly open at the top for further revelation, as Ernest Holmes said. You know, and, and what he also said was also, our textbook is not a rule book. You know? Ernest Holmes always said, read the textbook, practice the principles, prove them to yourself, and dismiss the rest. Dismiss what does not apply to you or doesn't work for you. In fact, in uh, Can We Talk to God, Ernest Holmes said, as practical religionists, we seek to make our dreams come true. It is a practical spirituality, and, and this is what is so uplifting about it. It is a practical spirituality. It is unburdened by superstition, dogma, and duality. Our spiritual philosophy, the science of mind and spirit, is meant to be reassuring. It is a validation of life. It is not meant to beat us up, but to lift us up. And I think that's what it does so well. Ernest Holmes said this in Ideas uh, of Power. He said, we are a Christian denomination. He believed that in 1927. He said, we believe in Jesus. We also believe in Buddha. We believe in Socrates. We believe in Abraham Lincoln. And more than anything else, we believe in our own soul. The only immediate testimony you and I will ever have that we exist or that God exists, or that Jesus showed us a way. We believe in all way-showers. We are the first denomination to be freed from superstition, dualism, and dogma. And so what do we really believe about that? What do we, how do we even interpret that, right? You know, to be free from superstition. Well, that belief that God is, you know, somewhere up on a cloud and that he alternately, and he's a he, by the way, right? You know, alternately rewards and punishes. Um, that's superstition, right? That there is a devil somewhere out there tempting us and luring us to the dark side. That's superstition, you know, that, that God is some sort of superhuman, that is, he, he appears in human form, that he's a man. He's an old man, actually. He's an old man with a long white beard sitting somewhere on a cloud. That's superstition. The idea that there is some faraway place called heaven or hell and that they both exist and that we're eventually going to be sent to one or the other, 
That's superstition. So the science of mind and spirit is free of all of that. Dualism, the idea that there are two opposing forces battling each other for the soul of humanity, right? The devil and God who are constantly battling each other on earth for our souls, you know? God and the devil duking it out, you know? And in this corner, we have, you know, the supreme intelligence. I mean, it's just ridiculous. That's dualism. And then also the idea of duality. The idea of duality doesn't even exist in the mind of God, right? We think of the mind of God. We think of the qualities of God. We think of abundance and balance and beauty. And, and actually, dualism does not exist. We talk about those qualities of God as being the qualities to which there is no opposite. God knows only love. God knows only joy, only, only wisdom. There are no opposites in divine mind. There is only a continuum from the smallest amount to the greatest amount. We assign different names to that. We can call the smallest amount of love hate, but there is no such thing as love and hate. There is only love in, in whatever amount we demonstrate it. We might call them opposites, but it's actually a gradient. And then what about dogma? Well, dogma is that set of rules. Again, that Ernest Holmes said we don't have, right? Yeah, the, the definition, a principle or set of principles laid down by an authority as incontrovertibly true. And Ernest Holmes himself said, no, take the textbook, read the textbook, prove the principles work in your life. And what doesn't apply to you or what you don't agree with or it just doesn't resonate with you, dismiss it, dismiss the rest. That's not dogma. And Ernest Holmes said this, he said, shorn of dogmatism, freed from superstition, open at the top for greater illumination, unbound and unlimited, the science of mind and spirit offers the student of life the most understandable and intelligent approach to the world that has been so far achieved. And I believe that to be true. I absolutely think that that is true. It is a freeing philosophy. This is a philosophy of untethered spirituality. We are free to use it. We are free to use what works. We are free to demonstrate our oneness with these spiritual principles by proving them in our lives. And we are free to think whatever is true about life. And we wind up experiencing our dedication to those beliefs, don't we? We wind up experiencing, outpicturing our most predominant beliefs in our life. Ernest Holmes in Love and Law said this. He said, there is nothing but freedom in the universe. You are as free as your thought. You never deal with conditions. You only deal with mind. Never deal with conditions, you only deal with mind. So our freedom is God's freedom. It is the quality of God that flows through us and as us into the world. We have that freedom. We are always free to choose our thoughts. And that's what he said, right? You never deal with conditions, you only deal with mind. So we are absolutely free to, to uh, choose our thoughts and to demonstrate those. And they will wind up, wind up manifesting in the world around us. And... Freedom comes with responsibilities. It absolutely does. Ernest Holmes gave a talk at the Wiltern Theater back in 1937. And um, it was called The Spiritual Meaning of Freedom. And he said this, if our nature is one, 
if God is one, and we know that God must be one, for the universe cannot be divided against itself, then we are all tied into an invisible unity. We shall have to get back to this unity to find the meaning of freedom. Nothing in any part of this cosmic whole could be considered freedom that would destroy the liberty of some other part of it. That would be self-destruction, would it not? Yes, yes it would. It would be self-destruction. And yet, isn't that what we're seeing in the country, right? The fighting against ourselves, the, the duality, the, uh, the division. We cannot continue to have freedom for some at the expense of others. It has to stop. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the reality was they weren't referring to all men, were they? They were only referring to white land-owning men. Certainly not slaves. Certainly not women. You know, there was a first draft of the Declaration. I don't know if you know that. It was rejected by the colonies. And Thomas Jefferson was sent back to continue to work on it. In the first draft, Thomas Jefferson did address slavery. And he said this, he said, King George had waged a cruel war against nature itself, violating the most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, capturing them and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere, or to incur miserable death in their transportation. Now, the southern states would not sign on to a declaration if it meant freedom for the slaves. That was the South's free labor force. And the colonies knew they couldn't win a war against the British without all of the colonists' support and participation. So a deal was struck. This is politics. And you know what? Black lives did not matter to the Declaration of Independence. Yes, we gained independence from England. Slaves' lives didn't change, not one bit. And year after year, the United States celebrates Independence Day on the 4th of July. And year after year, African Americans have nothing to celebrate. And the illusion of separation that was alive and well in the United States at that time just continued. This division just continued. The separation, the illusion of separation just continued. 76 years after independence, Frederick Douglass, in his famous speech that's now referred to as what to the slave is the 4th of July, he said this. He said, but such is not the case, I say, with a sad disparity between us. I am not included with the pale and glorious anniversary. Your high independence reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The rich inheritance of justice, 
liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, but not me. The sunlight that brought light and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. The 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice, but I must mourn. This was in... Um, 1852, so it was before the Civil War. It was before the Emancipation Proclamation. It was while slavery was still alive and well in this country. The Emancipation Proclamation didn't happen until 1863. Slaves, mo uh, you know, the, the, all of them did not even get to know that they were freed until 1865. On June 19th, when General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas, to read the emancipation to all slaves in Texas. That, was, that is the Juneteenth celebration that is celebrated every year. And wouldn't, ha wouldn't it have been great if that celebration of freedom meant equality from that point on? But we know very well it didn't. Because after that, what happened in this country? Jim Crow laws poll taxes, uh, redlining in, in housing districts, 40 acres and a mule, which was proposed for all the freed slaves, was a, was a promise to them that was then taken back by the next president, Johnson. Then the, there was the GI Bill and home loans, which, well, blacks weren't eligible for, right? Black veterans were, were disallowed. There was subtle and not so subtle, right, discriminations against African Americans so that they would know that they were not included in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that guarantee of ours. And when the black community started gaining momentum and black businesses started becoming successful, well, the whites put an end to that. White gangs, the KKK groups, would absolutely put an end to it. We've all heard of Tulsa. Now, I think for years, none of us knew about it, but we all know it now, don't we? Black Wall Street was burned to the ground back in 1921 because the whites wouldn't have it, wouldn't deal with blacks on an equal footing. But you know, that wasn't the only black uh, um, massacre that occurred in this country. Too many to count. April of 1873, Colfax, Louisiana, approximately 150 black men were murdered by white men with guns and cannons. And all they wanted to do was just freely assemble in front of the courthouse. Wilmington, North Carolina massacre, 1898. Whites overthrew a legally elected black officials in their city council killing over 300 black citizens, and then creating a coup d'etat and setting up an all-white government for that city. The Atlanta Massacre, 1906. An upwardly mobile black community was set upon and destroyed. Over 100 black people killed in the streets. Elaine, Arkansas, Massacre, 1919. Black unions who were getting together for equal rights, for equal pay, for their sharecroppers. Over 200 black 
men, women, and children were killed. And in Rosewood, Florida, 1923, a similar massacre to the Tulsa, where a black community, which was very upwardly mobile, successful, making their own businesses, owning their own businesses, making their own money, burned to the ground. Over 250 blacks killed. Now, I want to go back to that speech that Ernest Holmes gave in 1937 on freedom as a spiritual idea. He said this, we are bound into a supreme unity. We are tied into an immutable law of irrevocable cause and effect. That is unity moving into action. Cause and effect is something that happens as a result of the use of unity. Consequently, we are one, even as we are many. And since each one of us is part of the whole, if we seek to destroy each other, we ultimately hurt ourselves. That is the great lesson of this life. If we seek to destroy each other, we only ultimately hurt ourselves. You know, and we still don't enjoy equity and equality in this country. We are still rife with systemic racism in this country. We're still dealing with the effects that black lives did not matter in the Declaration of Independence. You know, in 187 years after the Revolutionary War, Dr. Martin Luther King stood in Washington, D.C., and he gave his I Have a Dream speech, in which he said, in a sense, we have come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which American would fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on that promissory note, insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the black people a bad check, a check that has come back marked insufficient funds. That was 57 years ago. It is time we fulfill our promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to all people, to all Americans. We can't change history. We know slavery. We know this country was founded on genocide of the indigenous people, and it was built on the backs of slaves. We can't change that, but we can certainly make it better. We can certainly make good that promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to all Americans, all Americans. Back in that same year, 1963, Malcolm X said this. He said, that's not a chip on my shoulder. That's your foot on my neck. That was 57 years ago. 57 years before George Floyd and a knee on his neck. It is time to fulfill the promise of America to all people as we're celebrating this Independence Day weekend. We must awaken. We must take it upon ourselves to fulfill the promise of America for all people. It is time to make good on that check. Ernest Holmes in Richer Living said this. 
We all wish to be free, but at the same time, we should realize that liberty is not license. To say we are free with the freedom of God does not mean that we are free to do anything that contradicts the divine nature. We are free only in the freedom which God is. The freedom to be alive, to enjoy living, to enter into activities of everyday living with enthusiasm and interest. We are free to love and to be loved. We are free to give full and complete expression to every capacity we possess, provided that freedom harms no one else and hurts no other thing. We are here to be free, to express the quality of God known as freedom. And we must insist that freedom and justice for all. Thank you so much.